The question that I want to talk about today is how do you avoid life becoming a grind, like you see in the clip? And, and as soon as the clip was over, somebody up here, I think it was Jerry, said, that looks familiar. And life can get like that, where every day it's the same. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. It's just the same thing over and over. And I've, I've been wondering that because as we approach our one-year anniversary, I'm just going to be honest with you, it's, 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 it's become slightly more difficult for me to stay up. Like on Sunday mornings when I get up at Oh Dark Hundred and come here and, and load up the trailer and do this with some of the guys that come and help me, at first, when we started doing this, it was all new, and it was exciting, and it was, it, was, it, was some, it was this great adventure. And now it's starting to just barely feel like a job. It's starting to just barely feel like a grind. And so I'm concerned about that, and I'm more concerned about it for my team than I am for me. I, 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 it is my job. But the volunteers, I, I want to make sure that this thing stays exciting for them, that there's, that there's something exciting about doing it. And so... My, I, I asked this question to a dear friend this week. Um, he pastors a church in Norris City, Illinois. And uh, Norris City is where my wife is from. And Norris City is anything but a city. Uh, if you look up Norris City online, actually, this is pretty funny. On Wikipedia, this is how Norris City is described. It says, Norris City is a village. <laughs> so even though they put city in the name, Wikipedia says, no, sorry, not a city. They have... They have one stop sign, no traffic lights, and they have two convenience stores that compete against one another. And the only breakfast joint in the whole place called the Cardinal recently shut down, which I'm assuming was for lack of business. I mean, it's a dot on the map, and it's a speck, and you're gone. You, you can easily drive past it without ever seeing it. But the neat thing about my friend, his name is uh, Chad Everett. This is his wife, he and Dawn. They pastor a church called Crossroads Church that sits right there on the edge of North City, Illinois. And the interesting thing about North City is people drive from all over Illinois to come to this church. So they have about 900 people in attendance on Sunday mornings. So the population, actually North City is currently booming. The population is now 1,257, up from 1,057 uh, 15 years ago. So they've increased 200 people over a 15-year period. I'm thinking childbirth would do that easily, right? But he pastors a church of 900 in this tiny little village in southern Illinois. Uh-huh. And it is a village. It is a village. And last Monday on Labor Day, I played golf with Chad. He's, he's one of my best friends. And anytime I'm with Chad, I want to pick his brain because he is where I want to go. He, he, I mean, he's growing a church. He's, and, and if you go to the church, God shows up. Miracles happen. Neat things happen. People's lives are changed. And so when I get the opportunity to be with a guy like that, I want to learn from him. So I said, Chad, I said, I said, here's my question for you today. I said, how do you avoid pastoring becoming a grind? How do you avoid a church becoming a job? And he thought about it for a second, and he said, you know, H, he said, I was at a conference recently, and they gave some advice that was very simple advice, and it's advice that we probably all ought to know, but it really struck me, and it really helped me in that area. And he said, and, and here's the advice. This is, this is what he said. He said, we can't look for results to affirm our value. That's a, great, that's, that's, that's a line you ought to think about. You cannot look for results to affirm your value. It says, from a place of acceptance and value is where we will see results. This is a paraphrase of, of what he had to say. But he, and, and really, it's, it's kind of skirting the question. It's not answering the question directly. But he said, in this area of it becoming a job, this has been really helpful to him. Because when you start wanting to make things happen and assuming that that's where your value comes from, You've missed out on life completely. 
Life does not come from what you do. It doesn't come from what you accomplish. It comes, it, it's, there's something transcendent about what life is worth. Now, he is from southern Illinois, so I was texting him back and forth this week about this very topic, and I told him that I was going to quote him directly, so I wanted to quote, quote him accurately. He said, what you're doing ain't what makes you good or nothing. He says, when you dang near see yourselves pretty dang awesome, boy, howdy, God dances a jig. So I, I just wanted to make it clear what he actually, what he actually said. No, that's not what he actually said. As if every person in southern Illinois is a big hillbilly or something. But some of you now understand the quote, so I'm, not, I'm just going to... Where does your value come from? If you, if you read in Genesis at the very beginning, the story of creation and, and, and the illustration of where we come from and, and what we're all about and what's important, this is how it describes the creation of mankind. It's really intimate. It says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, did this literally happen? Did God wrap his mouth around a man's nose? I have no idea. I don't, I don't know if this is figurative language or literal language. But there's no question that the image is intimate. It's God getting close, getting up close and personal with a man and breathing life into them. And that right there makes you valuable. That's enough. That means, that means you are a masterpiece. Right now, right where you sit, right as you are, my balding head, my gut pooching out, my, uh, getting to the point where I can't concentrate sometimes, I'm a master. I mean, I know you knew this already, but I am a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Fat, skinny, smart, dumb, black, white, ugly, pretty, doesn't matter. You, you are a container that God has created to hold his spirit. Wow! That's your value, and it's enough. It's enough. It's a done deal. You don't have to strive. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to have tension in your life and stress thinking, I've got to become, I've got to become, I've got to do, I've got to do. No, you are. You're done. You're good. It's all beautiful. It, scripture describes this as a vessel that God created. In the, in the prophet Isaiah, he says, uh, You're our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. How valuable is a container that can hold God? How valuable is that? And that's what you are. That's what God has created you to be. And that means every person, everywhere, has unbelievable intrinsic value. Doesn't matter how they act. Doesn't matter how they look. Doesn't matter how they walk, how they talk, how well they do their job, whether they show up on time. Doesn't matter. They have this intrinsic value that the breath of God has been placed in their life and that they are a container that can hold the Spirit of God and that the Spirit of God could and can flow out of them, and that's valuable. There's a song by the Lost Dogs that I wanted to share with you today. A guy online put this video today, together, and so I stole it from him. And uh, I didn't put this together, but it's one of my favorite songs, and I just wanted to share it with you, so here's a brief video. You know, Jesus says, at one point, he says, to love your enemies. And we think of that as something that we should strive to do, that we should work hard to do, uh, that we should make a choice to do. And when you, when you get a hold of this idea that every single person has the breath of God in them and has been, 
that has been invested in them from God and that they are a treasure, that they are a container meant to, to, to hold God. Loving your enemies becomes natural. We look, at, we look at ISIS right now, for example, and some of the things they're doing, it's terrible. There's no question. They're not fulfilling the potential of the breath of God that has been given to them. And yet, we, we, we can't look at them as something we hope will burn forever. Instead, we, we look at them as something we hope will receive the restoration and healing from God. And who, whatever it is you're afraid of, whatever it is that you shun, what, who, whoever the people are that you can't touch, the untouchables to you, you've got to realize that they're a treasure. That they're a treasure and a masterpiece from God. And view them as such. Now, it doesn't mean that every single person everywhere is fulfilling the potential that God has given them. Uh, God is in, in the restoration process. And so we look at a ballroom like this. And you go in there and... And it's kind of hard to tell. Is this, is this beauty that we're looking at? Or is it something nasty that we're looking at? It's a little confusing, isn't it? I mean, it's an, it can, it, don't you look at this room and think, what a room. I mean, wow, what, what could this be? There's some beauty here in this room. There's, there's something intrinsic about this room that makes it valuable. And yet we look at it and say the paint is scraping off the walls. The floors are nasty. The ceiling needs to be redone. It needs restoration, but you can see this amazing potential in it. And what we find is that God breathed his life into people and then something awful happened. And people became corrupt and started kind of going their own way and doing their own thing. And when people go their own way and do their own thing apart from God, bad stuff happens. The paint starts chipping off the walls and the floors become nasty. But then God sent his son. God sent a man to earth to show what God is like. And what you find in the, in the story of Jesus is when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he comes back to his disciples, and the first thing he says to them, he says, peace be unto you. He says, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. And then it, says, and then it shows this. It says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I have no idea what this exactly looked like. I've always wondered about this verse. Did he stand in front of them and go, <gasps> That just seems kind of odd to me, awkward, and I'm thinking, it's, it doesn't seem right to me. I don't know how the story went down, but here's how I imagine it. I imagine he went to each one of them and put his forehead against theirs and breathed into their face and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's just my imagination. I don't know that from the verse. But I suspect it was the same kind of intimacy from the very beginning when it says he breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of man. Now Jesus comes and says, everything's a mess. The paint's chipping off the walls, the floors are nasty, but I'm going to breathe that life right back into you. I am going to show you the way to be restored and to be made beautiful again. So you want to know how valuable you are? God sent his son. This is, this is my son and my daughter, and I know people get sick of preachers talking about their kids, but that's the best illustration source that a, that a preacher has. Siler and I are playing Would You Rather nowadays. And he'll, he, he does Would You Rather. I'll ask him, would you rather go a week without video games or a week without chicken nuggets? A week without chicken nuggets. Well, he'll ask me stuff like, would you rather have both of your legs removed or one of your arms? That's the stuff he asks me. I'm going with the legs. I want my arms. I've determined that my arms are more valuable to my, than my legs for this, in these processes. He asks me, would you rather go without bacon for the rest of your life or go 39 days without food? I'd rather go 39 days without food. I'm not giving up bacon. But then, 
But then he says things like, would you rather live without a house or give up bacon for the rest of your life? And now all of a sudden, he is involved. Because if I ditch my house, now my kids don't have shelter. So I'm giving up the, house. I'm giving up the bacon. I'm ditching the bacon to keep the house so that my kids will be safeguarded. And he keeps asking these questions. They're kind of probing questions. But what I've found is any question he asks me where his safety or his concern it becomes part of the question, he becomes the priority. No doubt about it. There's nothing more valuable to me in my life than my children. My daughter was in the, we have a, we have a little jacuzzi tub in our bathroom. And uh, we put about that much water in it. She's almost two years old. And we put about that much water in it. And she sits down and she splashes and plays. And, and uh, we're, we're right around the corner in our bedroom. We can hear her splashing and playing. And all of a sudden, we hear the jets turn on. So she hits the button. And then it goes. And then the next thing you hear is this blood-curdling two-year-old scream. I, I can't, I'm not even going to try to imitate it. But it was awful. It was terrible. And so we jump around the corner, and she's got one leg propped up over the bathtub trying to get out, but she's, she's, not, she's not even two. She doesn't even have, like, the functions to do that. All she, but she is panicked. Her eyes are wide. She's screaming. And then there's the, <gasps> where they take in the big breath of air right before the blast. <laughs> you know? And when she did that, now I know that she's not being harmed. I know she's not hurt. We grab her, it's okay, okay, but she cried and, <laughs> and shook for, you know, 15 minutes after that. And even knowing that she was completely unharmed, I felt like the biggest heel on earth for quite some time after that. I just felt terrible about that. And it, and it, it was just her experiencing a little bit of trauma that she, she does not remember now. Uh, she's, still, she's taking baths now like nothing ever happened. But it was seeing any trauma to my child was just heart-wrenching. And for whatever reason, that's the illustration God chose when he wanted to illustrate your value. He said, I will give up my son. Now, we can talk about the, the theology of, of the crucifixion and, and penal substitution versus other ideas about it. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about the idea that God said, you're worth my son. That's the illustration he wanted, he wanted to give you. He wanted you to know that you're worth his son. In Romans, it says he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. That's your value. It's not just that the breath of God lives in you. It's not just that you have become a container that, that can hold God, which makes you valuable enough. It's that God desires to fill that container with himself. He wants you to be filled with God and for him to overflow out of your life into the lives of all the people around you. So back to the original question, how do you keep from the grind? How do you keep from, what is it, 16 tons, and what do you get, another day older and a hernia? Is that how it works? See, I mean, how do, you, how, do, how do you avoid the grind? That's how. You realize what a treasure you are, and you let God fill you. And when you're full of God, amazing things happen. Scripture teaches us this. It says, you were once in darkness, but you are light in the Lord. Live as children in the light. Have you guys ever heard of a silent disco? Anybody ever heard of this? There's these parties they're having all over the country now where there's no, there's no DJ playing music, but instead everybody brings their own headphones and their own music, and everybody wears headphones that cover their ears, and they dance and party the night away like there was music playing. So everybody gets their own tracks. Everybody, and so there's this, this party going on, and if you see it from outside, it just looks like a bunch of goofy people. I mean, you can go look online. Just look, like, go on YouTube and do silent disco, and you'll see people in the streets 
dancing and dancing poorly, very white people dancing, and, 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 but there's no music at all. But here's my, here's my suggestion to you on how to avoid the grind, is you've got your own silent disco going on all the time. You know, I see people on the street walking down the road, and they've got headphones on, and they're singing and dancing, and I always think, I want to be that person. There's something, there's, there's freedom and liberty in being able to do that and not care what people think. And here's the soundtrack that plays in your head constantly. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the song these guys played this morning. It's you are a good, good father. That's who you are, that's who you are, that's who you are. And I am loved by you. That's who I am, that's who I am, that's who I am. That's my identity. That's what gives me value. It's not my job, it's not my relationships, it's not this, that, or the other. It's not the car I drive, it's not the house I have. It's, it's the fact that God designed me as his masterpiece. God designed me to be a container that holds him. And what I'm going to do is let him fill me, and I'm going to run down the street dancing and singing like nobody's business.